Good morning to all of you. Whether you're joining us here in person or online, we're glad to have you in this time of worship together today. Uh, next uh, week, I won't be here. I'll be uh, in Florida preparing for the Free Methodist Church General Conference. And that's the annual gathering of Free Methodists from around the United States. What better place could you go to than Orlando in July? <laughs> so uh, there we are, off to Orlando. And there's a number of us that'll be there. I'll be there next week. Uh, Dr. Brian Lujillo, who is the Dean of the School of Theology, is part of our church. Uh, Brian is going to be a voting delegate at the uh, General Conference. Also, our own John Glancy will be there. Uh, the president of Seattle Pacific University uh, will be there as well. So a whole host of us will be there uh, next, the week after next. So what I want to encourage you to do is a week from tomorrow, a week from tomorrow, start praying and be praying every day for our church and our denomination as we make important decisions. I'm just going along as an observer. I'm trying to get my learning curve up to speed. And so I think it'll be time well spent for me learning how uh, the Free Methodist Church works across the United States. So be praying for us starting a week from Monday. Everyone got it? Good. All right, a week from Monday. Next Sunday, Pastor Camille's preaching. She's going to be sharing a message on Revelation 22. So first of all, pray for her, because she has to preach out of the book of Revelation next week. But there is no one who is more well-prepared for that than Pastor Camille. She has been buried in books in her office for a couple of weeks, reading and researching and preparing, and so I know she's going to have a powerful word from God for you next Sunday. So I'm excited to be able to at least watch it online and share with you in worship together next week. Now, I have to confess, over the last few weeks, we've been kind of in this uh, span of time where I haven't had a whole lot to watch on TV. The Mandalorian is over, so I'm in this dark zone of what I could watch on TV. I don't watch a tremendous amount, but I do watch a little bit. And so, my attention turned to religious documentaries. Yeah, and here are the two that I watch. This is the first one. Yeah, it's on the Duggar family and the difficulties that that family has had ever since and during the reality show they used to have on television on the, the Learning Channel. And then I watched another one after that, this one. Yeah, Hillsong Church Exposed. You know, the Hillsong Church started in Australia, spread around the world in a global movement. Its leadership is tremendously embroiled in scandal right now, and it's a very difficult time for that particular church. But that's not news to us in Seattle, is it? Not at all. We've had churches here in our very own city that have encountered the same problems, the same difficulties. This seems to be a story of religious scandal that's on wash, rinse, and repeat. It continually happens all the time. And it often happens when leaders, usually male, usually white, get carried away with their sense of influence and power and instead of the attention in ministry being focused on Jesus at the very center, it oftentimes focuses on them as individuals, as personalities. And what I want to talk about today is not just Jesus at the center of our lives, but how we're to respond to that. How do we live our life that places Jesus at the very center and some ways we can do that? Because it's not just that we're trying to steer clear of religious scandal. True, we are. 
But at the same time, we want to be faithful witnesses of Jesus in the world. So we're continuing in this series today called The Worth of Worship as we explore the pattern of Christian worship. It's got four movements to it. Gather, proclaim, response, and send. We've talked about gather and proclaiming over the last two weeks, and today we're going to focus on response and how we respond to the word that's proclaimed. Revelation 5 gives us a beautiful picture of this because there's a proclamation that happens in Revelation 5, and then there's a response to that proclamation. In the case of the text before us today, we're back in that same vision that we were talking about last week, this vision of a heavenly throne room that's opened up to the Apostle John as he's caught up in the Spirit. And you might remember in this vision, there's a throne in the middle, and there's one seated on it who's really never named in the vision. We assume it's God. And then surrounding that throne in one small circle is this glassy sea with a rainbow, and then around them are four living creatures who bow down day and night, just as we heard from Scott a few moments ago about how that happens. And then around those four living creatures are 24 elders in a larger circle. They represent the community of faith who offer their gifts to God. And then what we learn in this week's reading is then around those 24 elders is an even bigger circle, and that is the myriad of the angelic host. Angels, it says, ten thousands by ten thousands. In the Greek language that Revelation is written in, that's the biggest number you can write down. It's like an infinite number of angels surround that throne. And then around them is an even bigger circle, and it says that's everything in all creation. The text says everything everywhere is gathered around. So in this vision, it's these concentric circles with this throne at the center. And then, all of a sudden, in the middle of this vision, appears a lamb. Not a sheep, not a ram, a lamb. And it says that this lamb that appears in this vision near the throne that's at the center is slaughtered, but yet alive. Slaughtered, but yet alive. Well, how is that possible? Well, the, the image is trying to convey a meaning to us, and the meaning it's trying to convey is that this is Jesus. He is the lamb who has been slaughtered but is resurrected and alive. So still bears the marks of being slaughtered, but yet lives. And so there Jesus appears in the midst of this great host that have all surrounded this throne in the middle in Revelation. And if your brain hasn't completely exploded yet by this vision, what you'll notice is that as soon as the lamb appears, there's a proclamation about the lamb. A proclamation, not the response, the proclamation about the Lamb. And here's what it says. It's Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 to 10. The four living creatures, it says, they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slaughtered, and you purchased a people for God with your own blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them into a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. If this lamb is Jesus, and if Jesus is who we say he is, then there's something for us to learn here in these verses. So let's just walk through them briefly. When the creatures cry out with their song, they say, worthy are you to take the scroll. Now the scroll is the scroll that the one sitting on the throne is holding. It's got seven seals on it. 
And then in a minute, when you go into Revelation 6, the scroll starts to get open. One seal gets broken after the other. And then with each seal that's broken, there's some event that happens. And then after that, there are seven trumpets and events that happen. And then after that, there are seven bowls of wrath. And then there's more stuff that happens. And then before you know it, you're at the end of the book. Easy, huh? Don't worry about the scroll because we're not diving into what the scroll is about today. Just know that this lamb that's slaughtered in this vision is the only one worthy to receive the scroll. Worthy is an important word in this text. It occurs over 20 times in the book of Revelation. The Greek word for worthy is oxios. Can you say it with me? Oxios. All right. Now I want you to try it a little differently. This time with jazz hands. Ready? One, two, three. Oxios. Good. You got the, these are jazz hands, by the way, if you didn't know what these are. Jazz hands, all right? Oxios is worthy. And so worthiness implies that somehow a test has been passed, some obstacle has been overcome, that this lamb is worthy in a way that other things and other people are not worthy. That out of everything gathered around, remember, Four living creatures, 24 elders, thousands upon thousands of angels, everything in all creation. How many out of that entire body gathered around the throne are worthy to take the scroll from the one on the throne? If you answered one, you are correct. The lamb, that's it. The only one that's worthy. Why is the lamb worthy? That's what it tells us in this verse. Is worthy because he was slaughtered, purchased people for God with his own blood from every tribe, language, people, nation. You've made them into a kingdom and priest toward God. They will reign upon the earth. That's what makes Jesus worthy. Oxios. Now remember, Revelation is written to a group of Christians who are being persecuted by the Roman emperor Domitian at the end of the first century. And so the idea here is that the lamb, Jesus, is contrasted always with the Roman Caesar. Put them side by side so they contrast with each other. Caesar has absolutely done nothing at all deserving of worthiness since he serves only himself. And this is where Caesar and the Lamb, or Jesus, diverge greatly in terms of why they're worthy. The Caesar demands worthiness, but only Jesus is worthy. So let's put that in our own lives just for a minute. Let me ask you a question to frame it. What has worth for us today? What has worth for us today? Maybe if you have your sermon outline or you have an opportunity to write something down, I'd love you to just take a moment and maybe write down something to you that has the most worth. What is oxios to you? Jesus is worthy, but what makes him worthy? It says in verse 9, for... You were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God with your blood because of his sacrifice. You see, this is Caesar and Jesus' contrast with each other. Caesar sacrifices very little. 
he actually demands that everyone sacrifice for him. But what is it that Jesus does? The exact opposite. Jesus sacrifices for the sake of others. And so the oxios, the test that Jesus passes, if you will, is the cross. Is will Jesus go to the cross so that people can be purchased? That he might bring a community of people together. That's the worthiness. You see how the two contrast with each other? In Caesar's world, everybody sacrifices for the Caesar. In Jesus' world, Jesus sacrifices everything for the sake of the world. It's the exact opposite. And this isn't a new theme in Scripture. We find it all the way back in the book of Genesis and the creation story. That when God created the heavens and the earth and the creation story, God created everything for the human beings that were created, not the other way around. God created everything out of love. God created everything that there is in the entire cosmos as a gift to be enjoyed, to be celebrated, to be protected, to be cared for. So here's another question maybe you might want to think about for a moment. What makes something worthy of sacrifice? What makes something worthy of sacrifice? And the way Jesus sacrificed himself for all of us. Revelation 5.10 then says this. You have made them into a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Jesus is who he says he is because he's worthy, because of his sacrifice, and because he loves. A kingdom and priest is what Jesus makes us into. And so our work, in many ways, is the, the idea here of being a new nation with a vocation. Do you like how it rhymes? That took time, friends. That took time. Nation and vocation. Nation is the sense of identity we have as God's people. It's the groundedness we have in relationship to who God is, who Jesus is, that we're children of God, that we're part of God's community of people, and that we're called together to celebrate and affirm our life together in Jesus Christ. That's the nation part, but then there's this vocation, and that is we're to be priests. And so it's now time for your Protestant test of the hour. How many of you in this room are priests? Oh, yes, every hand goes in the air. We're all priests. The work of a priest is essentially mediation, to mediate the grace of God into the world. And so our job is to mediate God's love and grace to other people. So when we do our job best, there's people on one end, and there's the love of God on the other. When we do our job best, we function like a pipe or a wire that connects those two. That's the work. The work is mediating, offering the love of God to other people and ushering people to God so that they might worship him as we worship. That's it. That's what it means to be kingdom and priest. Do you see the lengths that Jesus has gone through in order to gather us together as people, sacrificing everything so that we might be a kingdom and priest to God? That's what makes him worthy. That's the proclamation. By contrast, Caesar tries to take and assume all power 
by fear and terror. And Jesus' work is to give us the authority and power to be a kingdom and priest in the world. Simple enough. That's the proclamation, friends. So what's the response? Remember, Christian worship follows four patterns, fourfold pattern. Gather, proclaim, respond, send. So if the proclamation is this, that Jesus is oxios or worthy, then what's the response to that? Well, the response follows right in the text. It says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, that the 24 elders and all the angels gathered together, and here's what they said. Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive, count them please, power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. How many fingers am I holding up? It's a very important number in the book of Revelation. Seven is the number of completion or fullness in Revelation. Seven. So, in response to Jesus having the position Jesus has, this is the response. That he's worthy to what? You see the word? Receive these things. Oh, well, that's where we get involved. So let's talk about these seven things very quickly. So if we were to think about these seven things as things we bring to the Christ, that we bring to Jesus as our response to him when we worship together, how do we do that? All right, well, number one, it says he's worthy to receive power. Now, I picked that picture for power because this has now become the quintessential picture of power oftentimes within our culture. The, the vest has taken on new meaning. Are you aware of this? Oh, good. you need to go do a little bit of cultural research. Yes. If you type into Google, alpha male at work, that's the image you get. White male at work wearing his vest, that's power. And so the question then is whatever power we have, whatever privilege we have, whatever place of position that we have, whatever way in which we have authority and control, how are we bringing that to Jesus? How do we offer that to him? How do we place that before him? In other words, the, the notion of power and privilege isn't to be discarded, it's actually simply to be offered. So we surrender our control of it and give control of it to Jesus himself for Jesus to call us and to use it in a way in the world that makes sense in our own life and in our own calling. Whatever power we have, we give it to Jesus. The second thing on the list, what is it? Yeah, here it is. Wealth. It's wealth. Our money and our time and our possessions. Friends, which is more valuable to you, your time or your money? And then the congregation mumbled. Time is often more valuable because money you can get more of, time you cannot. Time is a limited commodity. And so when we talk about wealth, we need to talk about our money, our time, our possessions, all of those things. How do we take all of those things and offer them to God? How do we place them at the very feet of Jesus in our life? When you're balancing your checkbook, does this cross your mind? When you're reviewing your investment accounts, does this intersect? 
how you're bringing everything that you have, all of your wealth, all of your time, everything you possess to Jesus and laying it at his feet. How about we go on to talk about wisdom? Wisdom is an important word for us because all of us are filled with a lot of experiences in our life, a lot of skills that we've developed over the years. And if you consider yourself in this congregation as an older person today, I'm looking at you. I am looking at you. You have wisdom in abundance, experience in abundance, story and narrative of your life in abundance. How are you offering that to Jesus? How are you letting him receive that from you as a response to his greatness? Let's go on to the fourth one, might. Might is your strength, your fortitude, your tenacity, your unwillingness to let go of things and how you will constantly believe, even when the odds are stacked against you, that there's a way in which God is still at work. Have you ever in your life prayed for something that seemed impossible? You have, have you not? This kind of tenacity, this way in which we hold on to things is important. That's what we mean by might. It's not physical might. It's might of character, might of virtue. It's, it's the might of who we have been made to be as God's people. We offer that to Jesus. Then we could go on to the fifth thing on the list, honor. How do we offer honor to Jesus? Do we give him first place in everything? Do we give him the priority above all things? Do we name the name of Jesus above all other names? Does he occupy that place in our life, or is he always competing for that place in our life? This is an essential question we must struggle with. Are we going to honor Jesus with the place he should hold in our hearts? I left the same image up there to talk about glory. That's the sixth thing. Do we offer God praise, honor, and accolade all the time? I'm going to invite you into a little dilemma I have in my life right now. Over the last few weeks, I have had a tremendous ringing in my ears. It's driving me bananas. Don't know why it's there. Going to go see a doctor who's going to send me to another doctor who's going to send me another doctor. That's cool. So I pray and ask the Lord. I say, Lord, why do I keep having this ringing in my ears? It's driving me crazy. And what I've learned over the last couple of weeks is that every time I'm aware of that ringing in my ears, like it's ringing right now, that must be for me a call to praise. That every time I hear it, Every time I'm aware of it, I stop and say, I praise you, God, and thank you. Not because you sent this, but because my mind is now on you. My heart is now on you. And it's been one of the most strange spiritual disciplines I've ever had in my life. Usually it's like, well, I'm going to plan and plot and do this and do that. This discipline is different. I found myself praising God more often through the day than I ever have in my entire life. Because it's always there. And every time I'm aware of it, I worship. Because when we worship the Lord, when we praise the Lord, when we offer him glory, the enemy has no standing. That erodes the ground that the devil stands on when we utter the name of Jesus and exalt his name. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen? The seventh thing, the last one, is blessing. 
This is arguably one of the hardest things for us to understand how to do, uh, but offer blessing to God. And what that means for us is that we, we offer our capacity and our affirmation that we, that in a sense, we don't just honor God, but that we place upon God a position and a, a, a priority and an understanding that, that God is the only one worthy to be blessed in our life. And hopefully later on in another sermon series, we're going to talk about the act of blessing and how we can bless God and bless other people and how we do that and what it looks like when we do that and how that's different than being nice to people. Blessing God. Such an important act. So friends, power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. Those are the quick seven categories of our response to the greatness of Jesus for his sacrifice. And the Christian life in many ways is about us asking ourselves regularly, how are we bringing those seven things to God every day? How are we doing that? Well, when that response is heard, John goes on in Revelation 5.13 and he says, And I heard every created thing which is in heaven or on the earth, or under the earth and on the sea, and all things in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Notice it's both of them now. The one who sits on the throne and the Lamb. What? Be blessing, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. That statement's important because there's a Roman emperor in between Emperor Nero and Emperor Domitian, who's called Emperor Vespasian. And Emperor Vespasian demanded that he be greeted in that exact same language. That when people in the ancient world walked up to Vespasian in open court, they would have to say, Emperor Vespasian, to you be blessing, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. And then they would be able to speak. Fascinating, isn't it? What Revelation is telling us is that only Jesus is worthy of that. The one on the throne. Remember, all three persons of the Trinity are here. John is caught up in the spirit. There's the one sitting on the throne. And then there's the lamb, Jesus. All in the same scene. Only they are worthy. The worship of Jesus evokes a response from us. Oxios or not oxios? And we know Christianity has gone awry when we make other people worthy than Jesus. Other people worthy. You know, the last few weeks, the congregation's been very kind because over the summertime, we've noticed that our attendance seems to be doing a little better over the summer. You noticed this? So I have people walk up to me and say, Pastor, we're so glad to see more people in church. Good job. Have I been with you so long? You see, part of the reason why Christian egos get carried away is not only because they're given to having an ego, but people are given to feeding them. And brothers and sisters, if we learn anything in this pattern of worship, if we learn anything out of the book of Revelation, there's only one person worthy. There's only one person worthy. Because at least for me, myself up here, I probably weigh a little too much, I'm losing my hair, and I have this terrible ringing in my ears. I'm not worthy. Jesus is worthy. We say it with our words. Will we do it with our actions. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you 
for the time we have to gather as your people in this place to ascribe to you all worthy honor, power, and glory. For you alone are worthy. There is no one else. At our best, God, you tell us that we are a kingdom of priests who mediate your love into the world. And so keep us humble, keep us focused, keep us galvanized in our vision for you above all others. For you alone are worthy of our praise and our worship. May it be so not only in our words, but in our deeds. For God, you did not simply give us words of your love for us, but you expressed your great love in mighty deeds. As Jesus sat around that table with his disciples, he took the bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, the Lord Jesus took the cup, and after he returned thanks to you, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, God, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves to you. Everything that we have, our power, our wisdom, our might, our wealth, all of it, we give to you. Pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and wine that they might be for us the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. We are so thankful for Jesus. We praise him. We honor him. We glorify him. And we pray as he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.